God was waiting for a righteous man, but he looked and he found no one. So he sent his own right arm, his son, Jesus, to regain what was lost to the kingdom of darkness at the fall. This is why Jesus had to become flesh. God's intention is to fulfill what he promised, and he knew he couldn't do it in man, so he had to do it in himself by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to fulfill everyone. Can can somebody say amen this morning? He broke the bondage of the kingdom of darkness, of Satan's plan, and he redeemed us, revalued us, brought us back in to the intention he originally planned because of what Jesus has done. You and I can rejoice that we're not what we're yet going to be, but Thank God I'm not what I used to be. I'm born again. I'm blood-bought. I'm spirit-filled. And I'm on my way to glory. Can somebody get excited? Jesus regained, oh, regained full authority and broke the dominion of the kingdom of darkness at a place called Calvary. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. I have a very simple message today, one that as I was finishing up on it, I just, I just really thought, God, I, I think I've captured what you're trying to tell us. You see, this book that we call his Bible a compilation of many books from Genesis 1 to Revelation 21. You know what it is? It's a love letter. All it is, over and over and over, is the Lord telling us how much he loves us. You say, well, Pastor, there's a lot of tough stuff in there. When we mess up, the Bible says as a father disciplines his children, our father disciplines us. But isn't the discipline out of love? I remember when my children were growing up, and I had to discipline them. You say, Pastor, do you believe in in the rod of correction? The Bible does. So I guess that means I do, doesn't it? But every time before I would take and spank my children, no, you don't use a belt because a belt can wrap around and do damages and hurt and stuff like that. And you never use your hand. Folks, the hands are for loving, caressing, holding. And if you use your hand all the time, 
then the child starts fearing the thing it's supposed to love the most. You put something in your hand. and They fear the object, not the one doing it. When I would sit down with my children and they did something wrong, and I'm going to irritate a few of you dads because I believe the father is the one that should bring the correction. Now, I don't get me wrong. If, if it's different in your house, that's between you and your husband, you and your wife. But I get that from the Word of God because it's the Father that brings us correction. Are we okay? So I would sit down with my children. I'd go into their rooms, and I would talk to them because I wanted them to fully understand why they were being disciplined. And did you know that's what exactly the Bible does? God never just randomly disciplined his children. He always let them know. This happened. This is the consequences of it. But in that, the Bible says that out of that chastisement, his love reaches around them to pull them back to himself. I would talk to my children, and they would fully understand what was going on. I would discipline them. And then I would tell them, Stay in here and think about this, and I'll be back. When I came back into the room afterwards, you know what we did? We talked again. That they fully understood. I didn't have to do that too often. When I read through Genesis all the way through Revelation, I don't find a whole lot of hard stuff. I find a whole lot of my dad reaching down and saying, guys, I just want to love you. I just want to hold you. And 2,000 years ago, he proved how badly he wanted to hold us and love us when he sent his only son to pay the price for us. Let me take you into his word this morning. One of the things that I have found in God's word that helps me to understand how much God loves us is the fact that he sent his son that we could relate to him on a personal basis. That where we are, he has been. That where we're going, he will meet us. Philippians chapter 2 says these words, Though he was God, he did not think equality as something to cling to. He said he was God. But he didn't come to earth to prove that he was God. He came to earth to show us how to live with God. And look at this next statement in the verse. Instead, he gave up. Could you underline that in your words, in your notes? He gave up his divine privileges. He gave up, willingly, not forcefully, not of compulsion, but of a heart's desire. And he took on the form of a slave. Literally, what the Scripture is telling us is he stripped himself of all divine privileges and dignity Assume the guise of a slave born, listen to this, under the dominion of Satan's kingdom in the humblest of circumstances to teenage parents to let all of us know he knows where we've been. He knows when we feel the weakest, the most helpless. He knows where we are. During Jesus' time on the earth, the Bible says, that he went through every temptation, every trial. What is he simply saying? He has been through everything you and I go through. 
You say, Pastor, where I'm at right now? Been there, done that. I'm sure if we could see into heaven, we'd find a whole closet full of T-shirts. Eh, maybe no T-shirts, but he's been there. And the Bible says in Hebrews 2, 9, that he could fully taste death for everyone. He had to be able to go through every single thing we could ever go through that he could taste every aspect of death. You say, well, what is, what is tasting? What's it talking about? God didn't create death. Death is the result of sin. There's a consequence to doing wrong. There's a discipline. Yet the Bible says he did all of this without sin. Now understand, I'm still in your notes, how important this is that he emptied himself. Because if he didn't, he could never have tasted death. He could never have been tempted. He could never have gone through. But he totally emptied himself of all divinity that he could fully experience all of humanity. Hebrews 4 says it this way. Therefore, we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. If I just stayed right there for the rest of the day, it would suffice. But I want you to understand quickly what he's saying. He is the high priest. The high priest was the only one that could intercede between God and man at that time. He became that high priest. He became that that intercessor. He became that advocate, the Bible says. Gone through the heavens, all the way from the heaven above the earth, the heaven below the earth, the heavens in the earth. Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to that faith that we know who he is, what he's done. And then it goes on and says that we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched or sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in every area tempted just as we are. And then underline this in your notes, yet without sin. Look at me. How many ever here have been tempted and you didn't fall flat on your face at least once today? Look what he says here. Because of this, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence and find mercy and grace in our time of need. There's a few things that I want to point out this morning in the next few moments. And very first thing is God really desires for every one of us to live in peace every day of our lives. And I believe that we can live in complete peace. You know why? Because God is faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says that he won't allow us to go through anything that we can't handle. I'll get to that in a few minutes. But he said, I'll make a way to escape that every single one of us can stand up under it. You see, it is not God's plan for you and I to go through life in frustration, aggravation, irritation, and any other issue you want to go through. 
He has been where we've been. He is at where we're going, but he stands where we are today. Look what he said in Jeremiah 29. The word of God says, I know the plans. And then underline this next phrase, declares the Lord. It's not just a casual comment the Lord is saying. It is a declaration. I know the plans. Pastor Philemon's getting me wound up here. He started talking about that little African jig going on there. I was just getting a little. I wanted to shout, boy, that's a feeling. I know the plans I have for you. Declares God. Plans to prosper. Now, before you think that's pie in the sky, riches, that's not what he's talking about. Prosperity has to do with peace and surety and confidence besides the material things. Not to harm you, but to give you hope. And I love the King James, which is actually out of the original language. Here it says in the NIV, it says, and a future. In the King James, it says, an expected end. Did you know God has the plan for your life that if you'll just jump into all he has, it'll turn out exactly the way he planned and it'll be full of peace. We don't have to second guess what God wants. He wants us to walk and live in peace. But it takes an active effort on our side to lay things aside and to carry about the things that God said. Hebrews 12 says that we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. What's he talking about? There are multitudes that have gone before us, victorious Christians. And then he says, let us lay aside or let us throw off everything that hinders us. And then he uses that term, the sin. Those areas of our life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life that continually try to consume us. How does that happen when we take our eyes and we just lower them a little bit? That's why the, the, the book of Colossians, Paul writes, he said, set your eyes. If you're a child of God, set your eyes on the things of God. Can I tell you something about the problems of this world? If I'll just lift my eyes a little bit above the problem, I'll see the promises of God are overtaking them every single time. That's God's promise. That's God's word. But we have this problem in Revelation 12 that the accuser of the brethren day and night is accusing us. Man, before Monty even got out of bed this morning, the devil was knocking on God's door and said, do you know that Monty Aguas God? Do you think you know him? And the father says, yeah, I actually know him pretty good. He and my son, they be related. Joint heirs together. And I can see God gave the Lord a fist punch. Is that what they call it? Yeah, that thing. Somebody tried to give me one the other day, and I'm, I shook, put my hand out to shake his hand. And he just looked at me strange like some of you are looking at. The father said to the son, yeah, we know him. And the devil says, yeah, but you don't know this about Monty. You see, the devil has the scoop on you. He got the dirt. Anybody here say they don't have any dirt? Monty, he got the dirt. 
And he told the, he, the father turns to the son and, and he says, Jesus, what about the dirt? And he said, Dad, don't worry. I covered it with the blood. He got the dirt, but I got the blood. So day and night, you say, well, pastor, praise the Lord, so the day is taken care of. No, 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 no. Continually accuses. But look what it says here in this first verse. He's already been cast down. He's already been defeated. Can I tell you something? When you and I run to God, Jesus runs to us to assist us in every circumstance, every shortcoming of our life. And he knows what it's like for he has been there and he never gave in, gave up, or gave out. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting with the fourth verse, says the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And I, I didn't put that in your notes because I wanted you to look at the, set, the next verse and not be distracted by the first verse because that everything we are is in Christ. Remember the last part of this series in part two? The whole thing's about being in God. In God we have victory. In God we have hope. In God we have overcoming. In God we have all of this stuff. And because we choose to get in God, we demolish all arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God because we take captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now let me break that down just a little bit. Demolishing every pretension. A pretension is a man-made something. Well, Pastor, exactly what are you talking about? Most of the problems, folks, that we deal with, we dealt with in our own heads. We make them up. We bring them up. We face them. We focus on them. You say, well, does that mean they're not real? They're pretend? Oh, they're real problems, but they don't really become a problem until you and I accept them as a problem. Am I making any sense? I've gone through lots of things. But the key is, is I've gone through. I didn't pitch a tent in that thing. Like the old boy that came up to somebody one day and he was asked, how are you doing? And the guy responded, well, I'm doing pretty good under the circumstances. And the guy responded to him, well, what are you doing under the circumstances? Get out of that place. Why do we choose to allow pretensions to set themselves over us? It's literally a high thing or a barrier. When God said, I gave you the authority to take captive that attitude or perception and bring it to obedience. You say, well, what's he talking about? Very simply, God said, I gave you peace. In this world, you're going to have problems, but in me, you're going to have peace. Take it. Philippians 4 says it this way. Rejoice in the Lord always. Would you say that with me? Rejoice in the Lord always. Oh, that sounded good. Let's try it again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Yeah, but pastor, you don't understand. I got some non-rejoicing things. Why? Is it bigger than you? Is it bigger than your God? I know we have that little catchphrase, well, how big is your God? Well, right now, I'm not sure how big he is. Has he changed or have we? It's like Ollie and Olga. 
they're, they're driving across the country, and, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, they get married and, and exciting. They're sitting next to each other, just lovey-dovey. How many remember the day when you could sit next to each other in the car? Didn't have bucket seats all the time. You could scoot all the way over nice and close. When you had a good day, you were really close. Not so good day, about a quarter of an inch in between you. But now you got consoles in the middle. you got all kinds of stuff in the middle. I tell you what. I've seen people, that even with the consoles, that, that, that lady just sat right in the middle of the console just so she'd be next to him. Ollie and Olga's driving down the road, and o- Olga's sitting right next to Ollie. Well, as years go by, they're not sitting next to each other anymore. And Olga's sitting on the side of the truck over here, and Ollie's over here driving, stick shift in the middle, driving down the road. And Olga's kind of feeling a little forlorn, and she says, Ollie, we're not as close as we used to be anymore. Ollie just grabbed the wheel with the white knuckles and said, I ain't never moved. See, that's what the devil tries to do. He tries to come in and put a little wedge in between you. That wedge could be a real problem that happened. But I don't know about you, I've had more made-up problems in my life than I've had real problems. Don't look at me like that because I know you have too. Something just got planted. Something got said. Something got thought. Something got, and I just built a whole mountain out of it. Anybody ever do that besides me? My Bible says rejoice in the Lord always. And Paul thought it was so important to say it that he says, again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness, that word gentleness is more truly translated your peace and rest be made known to all people. You know what will boggle the world's minds is when things are blowing up all around you and you're just kind of going through life peaceful, restful. Well, what happened to you, Jesus? Let it be known to everybody. Let them see that rest that God promised, that peace. Let it be evident to everybody. For the Lord is near. And then he goes on to that very popular scripture that most of us can quote, but can't live. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things by prayer, supplication, petition, let your request be made known to God. And then the God of peace the passes all understanding, will keep your heart and your mind. And then the passage that we talked about when we first started this series, whatever things are true, John 14 said, Jesus saying these words, I am the truth. Isn't that what Jesus said about himself? And then he said, whatever things are honest or noble. Well, Philippians 2 tells us that the mind that should be in us is the same one that's in Christ Jesus. Who didn't think it was a big thing to take second place? It's amazing what you get done when it doesn't matter who gets the credit. And the things that are right, Micah chapter 6 says, do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Whatever things are pure, that word pure would be 
or better translated, whatever things are right before God. 2 Corinthians 5 says that we became righteous because he took our sins. Whatever is lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, focus on these things. Think about who you are and what he's done for you. When you do that, you can fulfill 1 Thessalonians 5.18 where it says, in all things you can give thanks. See, part of what God is trying to get us to understand today is for us to have peace, we have to understand that our value, our worth, our redemption is in him. And that's where our focus has to be. That we don't get caught up in the world of of thinking that, that if God's in something, it's going to change. It's going to work out for good. That somehow God's going to magically fix things. Folks, you know magic? It's not real, but the truth about magic is magic doesn't take any involvement. But miracles take involvement. We have to jump into what God is doing. This is why Paul said it's Christ in me in Colossians 1. That is the hope of glory. In 2 Timothy, a young man that Paul has mentored is dealing with the the, the horrific aspects of of the the emperor called Nero. He's killing Christians. He's lighting up his hanging garden by putting Christians, impaling them on poles and setting them on fire to light his garden. And he's telling Timothy, he's telling Timothy in, in first, uh, 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7, he said, Timothy, remember what God has done. Fan the flame of the gift of God. Take the poker of remembrance of all the things that God has done. In your life and my life, we too easily forget what God has done when we're in the middle of what we are doing. Therefore, we can't see what he wants to still do. Am I making any sense today? Ephesians 3.20 says that he's able to do exceeding abundantly, above anything I can ask or think according to his power that works in me. I was studying for today, and the Lord took me back to 2 Kings 4 with the story of the Shunammite woman. She was old, her husband was old, and they had no children, and Gehazi came to the man of God because they were so gracious to Elijah and built a house for him to live in when he traveled through. And he came to Elijah. Gehazi says she has no children, and they're old. And so Elijah came back and said, by the word of God, this time next year you'll be cradling a son in your arms. And as the word of God was, this time next year she was cradling an arm. Well, a few years later, the boy was out in the field, and, and most scholars think he, he developed some disease of some kind that instantaneously took him. He cried out to his dad, my head, my head, and literally fell over dead. They carried the boy back to the mother. And the mother is sitting down there with this child who is now dead. The promise of God that seems to be dead. You know something in our lives? We have promises. We have dreams. We have ambitions that we know God has birthed. And it seems like they're dead. Seems like they're not happening. God said, that's not the way I work. 
the woman set off on the donkey. And the husband, being dense like most of us husbands are, you wives missed a great place to say amen. She jumps on the donkey to go find the man of God. And the husband says, what is a woman? It's not supper time. It's not the Sabbath. Where are you going? Okay, you guys will get this later. I told you we were dense. Okay. She takes off, finds the man of God, and even the man of God don't have a clue what's going on. And he says, how are things? And she says these words, it is well. She didn't say, my son's dead. She didn't say all the negatives, all the stuff that she was going through. Listen to me, church. Too many times we focus on what has happened and not what is happening. She said it as well. And the man of God didn't have a clue. And all of a sudden, he feels impressed to go back with her. He told the servant, Gehazi, the child's dead. Take my staff and put the staff on the boy's face. Listen to me. And he told the servant, don't you talk to a soul on the way. Don't you greet somebody. Don't you say hi to anybody. You just go do what I said. You know why he said that? Because there's too many naysayers out there. You start talking about your problems, they just start enforcing those problems. Oh, man, this is good preaching. He said, don't even talk to anybody. You just go lay my staff on the boy's face, and he will, he will live. You know what this woman knew? There was nothing impossible for God. And there was no thing that is irreversible. I don't care. You might have dug your own ditch so deep that you were covered up in the, 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 the mire and the muck. Don't you dare let the devil convince you that you're down so low that God can't pick you back up. God is the God that wants us to live in his peace, his promise. Yeah, but I did it. Okay. And that's a newsflash. We are all sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah 26. It's in your notes, but I'm going to make you turn in your Bible. I want you to find this passage because I want you to underline it. Isaiah chapter 26. It's in the Old Testament. It's, it's one of the biggest books of the Old Testament, 66 chapters in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 26. When you're there, start saying amen. Okay, are we there? Isaiah chapter 26. I have it in the New International Version. You will keep him in perfect peace. I want you, I don't know if you mark in your Bible or not, but if you don't, you should. You will keep him in perfect peace. What's the next phrase say? Whose mind is steadfast. The Shunammite woman said, it is well. You know what she was saying? I know what God promised, and I ain't going to let no devil in hell take it from me. I know the promise. Come on, church, somebody get excited. And I'm not going to let any lie deceive me. I'm not going to let any liar 
You want to talk about problems with me? Yeah, I'll talk about promises with you. I ain't going to let anybody deceive, anybody lie. I'm walking with a staff and the rod of God. Come on, I'm walking to the presence of God, and I'm knocking every devil away with that rod that I possibly can. Be careful, we might get Baptocostal today. I am working on it. You know why the mind is steadfast? Because we know who we trust. Folks, can I tell you something? I love you. I appreciate you. I'm grateful for you. But you trust in me, I guarantee I'll let you down. I'm as human as you are. You might say that you will never let me down. I love you, but that is a lie. Because you're human. And we got a liar out there that's always trying to accuse us. That's why God said, don't listen to anything anybody else says. Look at me. There's people in here that I'm speaking to. You've been listening to the lies because you've been bringing all these people together. And you've been, oh, you've been looking at your wounds. You've been looking at this. You've been blaming that. You've been everywhere else. And God said, that's your problem. You're looking everywhere below where you're supposed to, up to heaven. Stop listening and stop talking and start lifting and start walking. They're steadfast because they trust. This woman's resolve is the same resolve that we have to have, that God is God and his sovereignty is all that matters. You know what happens when I have exhausted all my feeble efforts? God picks up the pieces. The second thing that I know today about this God that we serve and how much he loves us as he desires us one day to be home with him. Paul talks about pressing on in the way he described his journey to heaven. He said, I forget what was, and I press on to what's going to be. See, self-discipline in the things of God will help you overcome every malady of life. It's not about keeping score. It's not about who done what, a sacrifice, or what could have been or should have been but wasn't. It's not about what somebody owes us, but it's one of keeping our nose to the proverbial grindstone and looking ahead. The Bible says that Jesus was set like flint to Jerusalem. There was no changing. He said, I didn't come to live for you. I came to die for you that you could live for me. And without what he did, we couldn't do what we're doing. Philippians 2, Paul writes it this way. My dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not just in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's not talking about your being saved. That's talking about your saved life realizing it's only in the awe and reverence of God that you'll be able to walk this road that's set before you. And the only way that you'll do that in the fear and reverence of God is knowing that the one who is working in you, he will will and act according to his good purpose. I learned a long time ago, God is working out what he is working in. 1 Thessalonians 4, once again, the 13th verse says, 
We don't sorrow like people that have no hope. Yeah, we go through things, but we go through things. And if we don't stop looking at what was, we'll never see what's yet going to be. But because we can't get our eyes past what now is, you will never live today looking back at yesterday. We have to leave the past just that, past. Philippians or Hebrews 4 says, since we have a high priest who's gone through the heavens, hold firm to that profession. Since Jesus has been through everything we've been through, we can be victorious in every place our life is at today. Why? Because 1 Corinthians 10, there is no temptation that we have ever went through that everybody else, it's common. But God is faithful. That will never let you go through or be tempted beyond anything you can handle. But when you're tempted, tempted, he'll provide a way out. The marvelous truth, knowing that Jesus was chosen to be our intercessor, one that has been where I've been, where I'm at, but promised to get me where I'm going. Philippians 1.6 says it this way, I'm confident of this thing, that the one who began a good work in me is going to finish it. Let me wrap this up this morning. God wants you to live in peace every day of your life. God wants to get you and I home. What you and I have to do is get to the place of trusting God that he'll do what he promised. If you get nothing else out of this message, that Isaiah 26.3, he will keep you in perfect peace if your mind will just stay focused on him. Isaiah 59, the Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw there was no one to intervene. So look what it says. So his own arm worked salvation. His own arm was named Jesus, worked the salvation that nobody else could do. And his own righteousness sustained him. And he put on righteousness as the breastplate, salvation as the helmet, the garments of vengeance, and wrapped himself in zeal. When Jesus entered into the temple, fulfilling the scripture, the zeal of mine house has eaten me up. He was zealous. He was passionate to fulfill the promise and the plan and the purpose and the pursuit of God. And he said, I'm going to knock any devil out of the way. Vengeance was in his hand to stop every lie, every assault. God was waiting for a righteous man, but he looked and he found no one. So he sent his own right arm, his son, Jesus, to regain what was lost to the kingdom of darkness at the fall. This is why Jesus had to become 
flesh. God's intention is to fulfill what he promised, and he knew he couldn't do it in man, so he had to do it in himself by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to fulfill everyone. Can, can somebody say amen this morning? He broke the bondage of the kingdom of darkness, of Satan's plan, and he redeemed us, revalued us, brought us back in to the intention he originally planned because of what Jesus has done. You and I can rejoice that we're not what we're yet going to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. I'm born again. I'm blood-bought. I'm spirit-filled, and I'm on my way to glory. Can somebody get excited? Jesus regained Oh regained full authority and broke the dominion of the kingdom of darkness at a place called Calvary. And God said you can have peace knowing that I've done this. You can be in confidence walking in what I've done and know that one day I'm going to take you where I am. Can somebody shout glory in this place? I want the worship team to come. I know there's a lot more notes in there, some of you that are type A's, and you're going to get freaked out because I'm not finishing. I think I've said enough. How many think you got your point today? How many think they're victorious in Jesus? How many think God loves us just a little bit? How many think that I'm the overcomer? Because I've come over to the side of victory. Now, we are the children of God. Now, the psalmist said, trust in the Lord and do good. Psalm 37 is in the notes up there. Boy, Lauren, you're right on top of it. Lauren's first Sunday. How many things she's doing pretty good up there, huh? She knows the Bible like the back of her hand. I just, I just quoted the scripture. She was already there. Well, pretty much. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in God. and He'll give you the desire of your heart. When the Lord becomes your delight, his heart will become your desire. Commit your way to him. Trust in him. And he will do this. Look what it says. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn. The justice of your cause like the noonday sun. You know what he's saying? People are going to walk around and say, what? Is the favor of God on you or something? And you can say, yeah, it is. Did you know that, Mr. Hurst? Favor of God's on you, son. Mm. Walk in it. Walk in it. 1 John 5. This is the love of God. Just do what he said. Obey his commands. His commands are not burdensome. Oh, pastor, it's tough living this Christian life. It's not tough. It's impossible. That's why he did it for you. He said, just trust me. Walk in it. 
every one. Is, is that leave that in your notes? Everyone that's born of God, what's it say? Overcome. Oh, come on, you're saying it like you don't even believe it. Everyone born of God, what? Okay, I, you're almost there. Everyone born of God, what? Overcome. Do you believe that? That's the love of God, folks. Mr. Harmeal, you think he loves you a little bit? Huh? Mr. Henry, you think he loves you a little bit? What do you think, Mr. McCourt? He did it all for you. He just said, follow in me. Yeah, but, Pastor, you don't understand what I've done. Actually, I do. I know a lot of what you've done. Oh. <laughs> I want to see what Ken looked like in red this morning. Yeah. Folks, he understands exactly what we've done. Don't think that somehow you woke up this morning and God said, Oh, I didn't know you did this. I didn't know you did. He knows exactly where we've been, where we're at. All he said is, Trust me. Trust me. Walk in me. And I'll get you exactly where that's home, wrapped in my loving arms. Can somebody say amen? Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise, would you? Come on, like you really mean it this morning. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.